Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to advance in leadership, then this podcast is for you. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker, and Monique Marquez, senior corporate leader, ex-Googler, and diversity expert. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Monica, your host for today's episode. Do you ever feel isolated at work despite being surrounded by people? If so, then it might not surprise you to know that according to a Gallup poll, only 36% of U.S. employees are engaged in their work and workplace. Our guest, Dr. Deidre Anderson, also known as Dr. D, founder and president of Trailblazers, Inc., shares her story of climbing the corporate ladder while realizing that there was a big problem with workplace communities. Dr. D shares how the key to transformation comes from creating an environment that fosters A, B, and C authenticity, boldness, and contribution, and how her mission became to help individuals and organizations develop vibrant workplace communities. Dr. D is also the founder and executive director of Women Empowered, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping women become the best leaders that they can be. Each year, she compels women to become strong leaders through a training program and retreat that will help them identify their goals and strategies necessary to accomplish them. In this episode, Dr. D shares how she cultivated her superpower, techniques to overcoming limiting beliefs, and why reflection is so important. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Dr. D. Welcome, Dr. D. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are thrilled to have you here. And I personally, selfishly, because we've gotten to know you and work with you in uh, some of our Beyond Barriers programming. And so we wanted to have you on the podcast so that our audience could get to know all of the amazing pearls of wisdom that you have. So let's dive right in and talk a little bit about, you know, who is Dr. D? Tell me a little bit about your journey and how you, you know, wound up in your current company, Trailblazers, and, you know, how did, how did that all come to fruition? Well, thank you, Monica. I'm so happy to be here. I yes. love Beyond Barriers. <laughs> you already know that. So it's an honor. It's an honor to speak with you and with your audience. Um, so my journey really has just been all about transforming groups mm-hmm. into communities. Um, and the best way I guess I can get people to um, identify with this mission that I have mm-hmm. is if you think about that sensation you have when you're in a room full of people <coughs> surrounded by folks, mm-hmm. but you have this overwhelming sense that you're alone, right? Yeah. So there's people there and it's easy to stand in a room and be within a group, but it's different to be a part of community, a place Mm -hmm. where you feel like you belong and you matter and you're making a difference. And so my story is that I grew up in this really big extended family Mm -hmm. and a wonderful community in Philadelphia called Mount Airy. And both really ingrained in me this sense of what community means. In fact, Mount Airy, where I grew up, was famous, if you will, in the (laughs) 50s 
because we were this diverse, integrated community mm-hmm. at a time when realtors were, you know, scaring folks and telling them they needed to take flight and get out <laughs> of the city because Black folks were starting to move into the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, the realtors and the folks in Mount Airy made a decision that, no, they were going to be inclusive. They were going to be integrated. They were going to welcome their neighbors. Um, And so we had all kinds of diversity, not just race, but, you know, economically, you know, sexual orientation way back then. Really, we had this very diverse, vibrant community, so much so that we got written up in a national magazine. So all I knew was community, uh, what that felt like and pulling together until until I was recruited out of high school into the corporate community workplace, right? Right. And when I got to the corporate community, that's when I began to see um, what happens when people have a shared vision, uh, but then they start to kind of get torn apart um, by this struggle to belong, this struggle to feel like they fit in. Um, and which I think comes from that sense that they're there, mm-hmm. but they're not really a part of, of community. Um, so that's what happened originally that got me interested in this, uh, being a part of the corporate community. And the more I climbed the ladder, mm-hmm. the more I saw that it was a big problem. Uh, and, but then I realized and I discovered as a part of my work um, that when you create an environment where everybody takes responsibility for fostering authenticity, boldness, and contribution. That's really the key to transformation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so now I'm on this mission to help individuals and organizations to develop vibrant workplace communities. And they've even nicknamed me the Doctor of Empowerment and Engagement. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And, you know, I love even the word vibrant, right, of creating Mm -hmm. that richness that you, like you said, there is, there has to be a sense of belonging for someone to feel valued and you can be very isolated um, in an organization, on a team, um, when that, you know, belonging or that sense of belonging isn't there. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about, you know, you talked around where you started getting clarity and getting passionate around creating that. You started seeing that when you got into the corporate spaces and, how did you start focusing in or honing in on your strength or that that was your superpower? What, you know, how did you start cultivating that? I think what happened was that I saw that even within the workplace where people were so busy, you know, competing, not Mm -hmm. in a healthy way uh, with one another and vying, you know, for Mm -hmm. visibility, again, not in a healthy way, that I sort of had this magic way of pulling people together. Mm. Um, I had a way of helping people to feel safe. Uh, And so I discovered that I had this innate talent to do that and began being called on from, you know, by people to Mm -hmm. kind of mediate, pull together, uh, be the one who kind of uh, fostered a sense of belonging on teams. Okay. Um, before I even knew what that meant. So um, it, it found me in that way. But I think after being called upon to do it, the way that I cultivated it was to really listen um, mm-hmm. and watch people. 
And I realized that a lot of the same things that we saw in that Mount Airy community, really, that held us together um, were some of the same things you could start to foster in the workplace if you created what we created in Mount Airy, which was a sense of safety, which was a sense of uh, people are valuable. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a contribution to make. Those things that we did in my old neighborhood, I began to try and find some ways to do that um, in the workplace. And I think it really started with fostering that sense of safety, which meant building trust uh, mm-hmm. among people. And help me understand, like, what do you think is is the biggest barrier when you're talking about teams that maybe aren't necessarily gelling and they're they're competitive and vo- like almost vying against each other? Um, what what do you think causes that? And then how do you help them diffuse that? Because I know that even in coaching and working with a lot of our women, they talk about some of that. Um, they they feel some of that uh, um, tension. Um, amongst, you know, their work groups. And a lot of the times they are the only. And so they sometimes feel like, you know, they get pushed back a little or pushed down a little bit, you know, in when they're trying to kind of exude um, their perspective. What do you think causes that? And how do you get teams to then start gelling? Well, I think I think it happens on a number of levels, Monica. I think Mm -hmm. Um, I always talk about transformational leaders at the top, right? Mm -hmm. And so a transformational leader uh, is one who works to develop others, who doesn't always have to be in the spotlight, who doesn't Mm -hmm. always have to be the one who has all of the answers, right? But believes that the answers are in the room, they're out there somewhere, and, and really seeks to find those answers. So I think it starts at the top with really, and we do a lot of that training leaders to be transformational leaders, like really um, investing in people, Mm -hmm. understanding the importance of a shared vision, like having clarity in a shared vision that people can find themselves in, uh, encouraging people along the way, and then kind of modeling the way, walking the Mm -hmm. talk. So I think it starts there. And when you start to do that, when you start to empower people, um, one of the things that I love is when I find that quiet person in the back of the room mm-hmm. um, and, and I, I give them that opportunity to kind of be front and center and, and share what they have to share. And they realize that, wow, my voice matters. And the room starts to realize that, mm-hmm. oh, we're all better because of that contribution, right? So it starts with, with really, uh, as a leader, empowering people to know that they make a difference and giving them Uh, a voice, right? And Mm -hmm. if you do that at the top, then you have uh, at that middle level where people start to manage other people directly, you start to have people who are mission focused and and motivated who then do the same thing. You know, they create this sense of community. They create a sense of inclusion because often when I find that when people exclude, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times it's an issue of feeling insecure, Mm, yes. You know, that sometimes it's an issue of feeling insecure. But when people are empowered from the top down, it kind of spills into the middle. And then you find that people, um, when they're being developed, when they're giving a, a chance to have a voice and to, and to chime in, that they are now engaged um, and they are now empowered as employees. Right. So it's all it's all around authenticity, boldness. Yes 
and contribution. Allowing people, I say authenticity is your ability to really um, be who you are despite the pressures around Mm -hmm. you. And when I say be who you are, I mean, be true to your personality, be true to your spirit, be true to your gifts, be true to your values. Mm -hmm. Um, And when people feel safe to do that, um, then that vibrancy that you talked about, it starts to pop off, right? Because now I can can feel settled in who I am and I, I feel like I bring something to the table. I don't feel like I have to hold back. So that authenticity then inspires what I call boldness. And by boldness, I don't just mean that you're willing to kind of speak your piece or, 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 or say what you want to say, but I think about boldness as being that kind of unique um, flavor that you bring. Right. And it's, it, it's, only, it's only you and you're feeling free to, to do that. Um, and to bring that flavor into it, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and to and to then speak um, your truth mm-hmm. um, at, when it's a, at the at the appropriate times and, and to the appropriate people. And then finally, contribution is to use your gifts and your talents for something greater, mm. that greater yes. good. That's yes. when you really start to get that sense of community. So I have a question because I think all of that makes, um, you know, it makes so much sense. And the idea of then being able to feel, you know, that psychological safety in order to be able to add value and, you know, and share your perspective. Um, And there is something where you create the safe space, but how do you help individuals? How do you help the individuals you coach overcome some of those fears and limiting beliefs that their perspective matters or that their perspective would be valued because they tend to shy away from sharing it because of those? What are some techniques or things that you help them overcome those uh, fears and limiting beliefs? Yeah, that's a really excellent question because we really do work from two perspectives. The people who are kind of leading Mm-hmm. And what trickles down, but also to empower that person that I was talking about, who's that quiet person in the back of the room thinking, I have nothing to offer. Right. And often I tell people to kind of, you know, start where you are by just speaking up. One of the biggest things that I think people lose is the power of a great question. Mm, great yeah. questions are really good. They cause other people to think. And sometimes you feel more comfortable just asking a great question than you do Mm -hmm. uh, just making that statement. So you can start by asking a great question, you know, Mm -hmm. know what the agenda is going to be, know who's going to be there and think, be curious, lean into that curiosity and don't Mm -hmm. be afraid to be curious. Uh, And that's a great place to start with your curiosity uh, and with asking questions. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, you are an expert on something and you have been invited to that table for a reason. Lean into that unique thing that you bring into the room mm-hmm. that you know better than anybody else. There is something I guarantee you that you know better than anybody else. Again, start there. I try, I try to start people with small steps. Start mm-hmm. with that thing that you know well uh, and bring a perspective on that that adds to the conversation, to the larger conversation is another great thing. Uh, find a mentor or a coach or somebody just that you trust who's in the room that's further along than you mm-hmm. and be open to feedback. Be open to that. Be open yes. to that nudge and that kick that they give you under the table that says, 
say something now, now, now. Mm-hmm. Or when they come to you after the meeting and say, I know you could have added to that. Why didn't you? Like have that person that you have that exchange with um, that you can trust. And, you know, you, as you do that, the more you do it, the more you speak up, the more confident you become. Mm-hmm. But you never get there if you don't start somewhere. So that's my, my big thing that I'm always saying to my coaching clients, to my mentees, mm-hmm. you have to start somewhere. Where are you comfortable starting? Is it with the question? Is it with contributing the thing that you know, you know so much about? Mm-hmm. Is it, with, is it with clarifying something? You know, there's so many ways to make a contribution in a room that add to the room. You know, you don't, you mm-hmm. don't always have to be that person who's got, you know, the, the rocket science answer. And you're like, oh, I solved everything. You will get there, <laughs> I promise. Perfect. And maybe you'll say that one thing that will shift the entire room. It may be small to you, but it may shift the entire room. But don't be intimidated because if you think that way, if you think, oh, I can't. Uh, you know, say, and that's the other thing, comparison. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not going to sound like Monica. She, oh my gosh, she's so smart. I, I could never contribute like Monica. Well, we don't want you to contribute like Monica. Right. <laughs> we want you to contribute like Deidre. That's back to that authenticity part that mm-hmm. makes you then that bold, vibrant person. And bold and vibrant isn't always the one who says the most. That's not what I mean. Mm-hmm. I mean that it's being true to who you are so much so that you bring this unique thing you know how we talk about that je ne sais quoi? I don't know yeah. what <laughs> your yeah. next factor. Uh-huh. You bring that into the room because you've leaned into that. Don't try to be like the next person. Don't compare yourself to the other person. And don't, this is a mistake I made, Monica. Mm-hmm. Don't be so concerned about being the only one in the room that you come mm-hmm. in with a chip on your shoulder. Right. Early you know, on, there were some times when I walked into the room and I uh-huh. thought, well, I know they're looking at me or they, I know they're expecting this of me. And I know they're thinking this about me. How do I know that? I don't know that. <laughs> when I walk in the room with that in my mind, it's how I show up. Mm-hmm. It's how I come off. And now I'm so busy trying to prove myself that I've lost the A, the B and the C, right? Mm-hmm. I'm no longer standing in the authentic power of who I am. I no longer have that boldness and that vibrancy about myself that makes me unique. And I've certainly diminished my contribution because I'm so focused over here on that. I love that. The ABC, the authenticity, the boldness and the contribution. And that's so important to think about Um, because the contribution, I love what you said in terms of asking a great question because the contribution could be almost, you know, what you don't know. And because there's sometimes, you know, teams are trying to solve for clients or customers or whatever, and they're thinking, here's the solution. And you might be like, wait a minute, I, you know, here's what I don't know, or I don't understand this. Well, if you don't understand it and you're part of the team, the customer may not understand it. And it might, like you said, shift the way that they solve it. And so you bring a unique you know, perspective. So I love that, that the contribution could be something as simple as a question opposed to hey, I've solved it. Let's do it this way kind of thing. So that is fantastic. Now, I want to dig a little deeper and you talked about, you know, asking for the feedback and, um, and getting that feedback, but feedback for a lot of people is like a dirty word or they're afraid of the feedback because one, it may, you know, really reveal some failure or something on, on their part or whatnot. How, how do you approach feedback? How do you dissect feedback when it comes and it's negative feedback or you feel like you've failed uh, or, you know, you've had a setback? How do you 
how do you take the feedback and then how do you act upon it? Um, and, uh, you know, what do you, you know, how do you get past the failure or the setback? That's a great question, Monica, because even as I'm listening to you and you talk about failure and setback, that's something that I really had to work on. I had to work on not labeling it failure and mm-hmm. setback. Because who wants to, who who wants to feel like they've failed or they've been set back? What I realized right. is that without that feedback, I cannot go to the next level of where I want to be because we all have blind spots. We all have them. It's like you know the old times when we drive down the street and we try to you know get over into a new another lane and we're looking at all the mirrors and you know somebody's over there and scares the heck out of us when we get ready to go over because we can't see that spot it's our blind spot we all have blind spots so that's the first thing you have to embrace even that person that you're looking at and you're admiring Mm -hmm. has blind spots You have blind spots. So recognize that and look at feedback as an opportunity now to really minimize those, get rid of some of those so that you don't have as many blind spots Mm -hmm. and so that you can grow and you can learn. It approaches everything and mindset is everything. So how do you look at it? I remember I had a mentor and um, he said, uh, feedback is information, nothing less, nothing more. And I thought, well, (laughs) Okay, easy for you to say. That hurt my feelings. (laughs) You know, it's Uh it's personal, you know, and he says, nope, quit taking it personally like that. Quit, quit and find in it your opportunity to grow. And he, he was even so good about when perhaps I didn't uh, deliver in the way that he expected or knew that I could. He mm-hmm. was he was really good about that because the question was always like, "Nope, okay, let's move on." What did you <laughs> learn? What? How could? How? How are you now better? Are going to be better? How do you take that information now mm-hmm. and get better at what you do? Like, we're not going to camp out on even how the person delivered it. He was tough. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I think well, they didn't have to say it that way, even if it is true. And he's, you know, nope. Nope, it's information. It's information. Let's sift through the information that we receive. And I even like that when he would say, let's sift through. Mm -hmm. Because surely sometimes you do get feedback in there. It may not come from the purest place. Right. Uh, And it may not be done in the safety of community where it's meant to kind of help foster those three things we talked about. That, Mm -hmm. That absolutely happens now. We can't ignore that that doesn't happen sometimes. So you do, you have to kind of sift through it, but you, you'll never get the stuff that's in there that's meant to help you to grow if you approach it, you know, in this mm-hmm. way that's like. Right. Standoffish, like, don't give it to me. <laughs> yeah. And I, the other thing that I think I've learned about it is I try not to respond right away. I try mm-hmm. to, I really do. I'm not perfect with this by any means, Monica, but I really try to listen, like, let me really hear. And if I ask questions, I really try to let them be clarifying questions rather than coming back and being defensive. Mm-hmm. Well, like, well, that's not what I meant. Well, the reason I did that was I really try not to do that. I really try to hear the person out. And especially when you're first getting feedback, because mm-hmm. those defense mechanisms, they just automatically yes. come up. It's just natural to feel defensive. Mm-hmm. So I try not to do that. I try to really listen. And I always try to say thank you to the person um, after they've provided the feedback. Because if nothing else, what I know I've just gotten is their perspective. And they've shared it with me. So for that, I am grateful. That's genuine. Mm. Um, 
But I, I think you, you have to know that you do not get better um, and, you know, and move from where you are to where you want to go without feedback, because right. what got you to the place you're in right now is not going to get you to the place that you need to go. There's a gap, obviously, or you'd be mm-hmm. in that next place. A part of filling that gap is to hear feedback from people who are observing you, who will help you to get mm-hmm. better, even when, even when people say it in a way that may feel hurtful. Yes, yes. And I think one of the most important things you said about the feedback is coming from a place where you're listening. Um, and you are a master active listener. Like you said, you listen and you're listening not to respond, but you're listening to understand. Can you, you did, you gave a couple of examples, but can you give some more examples on different, a difference between like a clarifying question and a defensive question? Because I think that's what happens is that individuals do get a little defensive because they're personalizing the feedback and they immediately want to explain away why they did what they did opposed to listening to really understand and and clarify. Can you do, because I do think that's so important. And I think if they walk away understanding that they'll be able to take feedback in a little better. Mm -hmm. So clarifying questions really just kind of dig deeper in to understanding with the feedback. So, um, so for instance, um, when you said that, Mm-hmm. It made me feel, you know, whatever kind of way somebody might say, you know, or whatever. And so then you might say, um, tell me, tell me more about how that made you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And, and, you know, you got to be careful with that kind of like, why? Right. I <laughs> can sound very confrontational. So you probably want to lead that you want them to be open into questions for the most part, if you're really trying to get clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times I, I just take what they've said. And I may say, can you tell me more about that? Can mm-hmm. you explain that in a different way that might help me to understand better? Mm. I think that's the more like, the, the, yeah, I love that approach of like, help me understand better or in a different way, because yeah. we interpret, we interpret things differently. So it is about the communication as well, but pulling it out of that individual so that you understand it better. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, I think that's kind of how Mm -hmm. uh, that goes. And then I get the way I gave that example of feedback is a a kind of a way that I've learned to give feedback and it doesn't always come across that way, you know, where you kind of give feedback. I try to focus first on what I liked most Mm -hmm. um, about whatever it was. And then kind of say next time for me, it would work better if, right. Right. You don't always get it that way. Right. Um, and, and what happens sometimes is you may feel like your motive of doing something is being attacked when your motive was pure, but your outcome mm-hmm. or your results didn't match what your motive was. And what you have mm-hmm. to also understand is that that result at the end of the day is, is what you're being measured by. Right. And if the outcome didn't match your intention, then again, that feedback is helpful because you need to close the gap because I, I yeah. feel like people especially women get defensive around that a lot. Well, I didn't mean that. That's not what I meant. Mm-hmm. And okay, I, I think, okay, that's good, but it's not what you meant. But the impact, the result was this focus on something more factual. Mm-hmm. That if this is what happened. If this was the outcome, 
um, focus on that and then try to figure out maybe what you might have done differently. I teach that a lot in emotional intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. Emotional intelligence is about that reflection. This is, this is such a good conversation, Monica, because mm-hmm. all of these things cause us to reflect more. Yes. And that reflection is what brings clarity to us. It brings clarity to us about mm-hmm. how we should move forward. But so often as women, we're, we're so busy, 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 you know, right. running, running, running. And we don't realize reflection is what really helps to foster growth. Mm-hmm. And those three things I talked about when you're in your quiet time, when you're reflecting, that's when mm-hmm. you grow. And that's when you become more of those things or offer more contribution, you know, in a way that's, that resonates with who you are, that aligns with those other two things. You know, I think what you mentioned around reflection is so important. And I think women, you know, tend to, or all of us sometimes get so caught up in the day-to-day and the weeds of everything that we don't stop and give ourselves or, or gift ourselves the time to reflect. Mm-hmm. What have you, what do you do? Like, what kind of boundaries do you set? Like, what is a day in the life of Dr. D? Like, you know, do you carve out reflection time for yourself? And if so, like, when do you do it? Well, uh, first of all, I think that <laughs> none of us, none of us are perfect with this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think I'm, I'm good at it uh, mm-hmm. because I realize that it not only helps me to be better at my work, it helps me to be a better me and have a more fulfilling life. Mm-hmm. So reflection is something that I really do try to do in um, a very regimented kind of way. Like I, first thing in the morning, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people who just jumps onto the computer and starts digging through my emails, right? I have quiet time, Mm -hmm. um, you know, where I just kind of center myself, get ready for my day. Um, I've written out my goals the night before most of the time. And I reflect back on those, not all the time, but Mm -hmm. I always have, I often, most Mm -hmm. often I have that quiet time in the morning. And I found when I don't, Mm, I'm not not as good at life. So quiet time. And, And really, if you study People who are really successful, most of them do have that time, the, that first part of their day, whether they're early risers or not, that first part of their day is really um, about kind of centering themselves mm-hmm. and getting ready for what's to come. So I think that um, the early morning time is really, really critical to me. But I also um, schedule every quarter. Mm-hmm. I schedule a weekend to go away and 2020 mm. was so hard for me because I didn't get away, but <laughs> I, I schedule a weekend. It's just me. I go somewhere beautiful. I take in the beauty, but I also really look back mm. um, at my goals. I look back at, at, and I look at relationships really closely. And I mean, we may talk about that later, but yes. I look at all those things and I assess myself, right? Mm-hmm. Because we get feedback, but we also have to assess ourselves. So um, I think, Every single woman, because I know a lot of us are so heart centered and we give so much of ourselves away, really needs to prioritize that quiet time. I'm a, I'm a person who journals and I'm a person who takes quiet time in the morning. Those are non that's non-negotiable. Mm. That once a quarter getaway. And I really struggled in 2020 because my getaway wasn't a getaway. I still, I set aside <laughs> time, but it wasn't a getaway. And what I found was that there were so many distractions. Mm-hmm. You know, it was different when I took the time to right. pack a bag and get away. And even before, I'll say this because I know a lot of people will say, well, 
that must be nice. You've got the money to go away every quarter. But even before I would go away, like I literally do now, um, I would take a weekend. And what I would do is I would get out of the house, Mm. Mm -hmm. whether it was the park or the library, I would get out of the house Mm -hmm. and really stop to reflect on my last quarter, what happened. And I really, I really think Monica, that has been a real key to my success and my personal growth and development as well as my personal growth and development. So that's probably my, my big tip of the day for just managing life, Mm -hmm. set aside that time to reflect and, and, and I mean, really protect it, really protect it because we give ourselves away every other hour of the day and into the day. And if we don't take that time, we find ourselves burnt out. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of just uh, re-energizing, recouping, like, you know, if, the, if you drain the battery to the very end, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you've got to somehow how recharge it. I think the, the reflection is so um, critical. What if you could pinpoint the invisible ceilings limiting your success? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers so you can take action and gain unstoppable momentum to advance as a future ready leader. Well, That's exactly what the Beyond Barriers quiz will help you discover. You'll get your personalized score based on the 25 essential elements proven to accelerate success in the digital age, so you can understand what's holding you back and where to focus your efforts. The Beyond Barriers quiz is completely free and takes just a few minutes. Go to imbeyondbarriers.com slash quiz and take the quiz today. Now, you mentioned a little bit that in some of your reflection in your quarterly quarterly reflections that you think about relationships and, um, you know, and I'm assuming that, you know, relationships that you've been, you know, you've developed over the past year, but what are the relationships you have to build in moving forward? Talk a little bit about that. Like when you're reflecting on these relationships, um, you know, are you doing it strategically? I am. And, you know, actually, I'm in my office now. And even now, I have photos that I've printed out Uh of the people that are are just, I feel are strategic in this phase of my life right now. Mm -hmm. And I know this may sound a little overboard, but you asked me to share what I. Yes, yes. So um, I have a thing that I do. I'm on a nonprofit board. And um, every now and then we periodically look at our board. We look at who's on the board. And then we look at gaps in talent. Mm-hmm. Oh, we don't have anybody who's in technology. We don't. Well, I do the same thing in my business and personally. I've got like mm-hmm. people who surround me. Um, and I really look at that. Like who's around me? Because what I feel is that we all kind of risk always being around people who are, are just like us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not saying there's, there's anything wrong with having people like that in your circle. But I think when you do that, you really risk becoming stagnant. Yes. Um, and you're not as open-minded. Mm-hmm. If, if there's nobody in your circle who's going to challenge the way that you think and even approach life or stretch you outside of your comfort zone, it's really easy to get stuck and believe that you're pretty much right on everything. That right. <laughs> and we aren't. Right. So I'm always looking. I've got pictures printed out because I'm a very visual person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not just thinking about, oh, well, this person does marketing. I'm talking about now my personal circle. But I am mm-hmm. looking to challenge myself. How am I going to go into workplaces and teach about vibrant communities and inclusive communities 
And my own personal community is very close <laughs> and everybody looks like me and everybody thinks like me. So I, I, I actually do that. And I push myself. I mm-hmm. push myself. I push myself to go to something, attend something once a year where I'm kind of like, hmm, that's a different way of looking at things. You know, like where <laughs> I feel like I don't really belong, right? After right. Community. But really, I do that because I feel Every time I do it, I'm exposed to some different kind of thinking, different way of thinking that makes me better and pushes me a little bit also and challenges me on some of my own biases. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I'm always doing that. I'm always looking at, at community that surrounds me personally, uh, community in my business. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when I was uh, working in corporate uh, America, I always was looking at my circle because I always, I always hated it when I thought, you know, people were being exclude, excluded or marginalized. Right. Right. And so how can I say that? And I'm kind of guilty of the same thing. If I don't open my mind, open my circle, you know, and, and push myself to invite other people into my own circle and expand it. You know, I think what you just said is so extremely valuable because I get questioned all the time. Um, by, you know, young women, women of color that are always looking for mentors or sponsors, you know, or leaders that look like them. Mm-hmm. And I will be the first to tell them that, to be quite honest, most of my sponsors and people who open the door for me look nothing like me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it's so important that you are talking about how you are strategic and almost intentional in seeking out people who don't look like you in order to level up. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, when you identify that you have a gap and how do you gain access to that influential leader? What do you do when you say, oh, I really need someone to teach me X and this person does that for me, but they look nothing like me. How do I even approach them? That's a great question. That's a great question. So Uh again, my approach may be a little different, but I, I always try to think first about what I also have to offer them. Mm. Relationships, I try my best not to make them completely one-sided. And what I found is that usually, even if this person is like way up here in an area where I'm way down there, there's some place in my life, because I like to look at this in a holistic way. Yes. I have something that's very valuable very, very valuable. I have one um, lady in my circle. I love and adore her. And she has her MBA from Harvard. Mm -hmm. And um, she's this marketing whiz. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I kind of, I had my my eye on her, right? I'm like, I think she would be great. A great help to me. (laughs) know her. Um, and so when I approached her, I, I think I'm a great conversationalist, right? I just mm-hmm. tried to find some common ground, start conversation and build around that. Listen, again, listening is a key, a key, offer some of the things that I had to offer. And I don't mean like formally offer, I mean, right. in a conversational exchange, right? Because who wants to have a conversation with someone when it's all one-sided? I, I mean, you want to listen, but at the same time, you want to offer something mm-hmm. that engages the other person. And I find a lot of times you can find common ground. You'd be surprised. But I think right. when you approach the conversation thinking that you won't, you won't. Does, does that right. make sense? Yes, yes. To you, if, if, if you kind of approach the conversation and you're like, hmm. 
I, I bet this person is so far above me. So <laughs> way outside of my reach, somehow mm-hmm. you show up that way. But if you right. think about the person as another human being, try to find common ground in a way that you can help that helps to build that relationship. And remember what I said, when I said safety, I'm not just talking about marginalized people. Everyone mm-hmm wants a sense of safety. Everyone wants a sense of belonging. Everyone wants that sense that, that they matter. Mm-hmm. Right. So yes. using those skills to find common ground and to offer something and to reciprocate is a great way. And I really think that's how I, I really was able to, um, you know, um, be promoted in my career, mm-hmm. build a business that I've had now for 15 years is to really approach relationships in that way that I'm not just looking for something, mm-hmm. but I myself, I'm a gift. I am a gift. Yes. And so when I approach it, I look at, look at it that way. I'm a gift. I'm bringing the gift of me mm-hmm. um, to, to the relationship, but I'm, I'm not going to kind of minimize myself. Uh, and right. I, I, that's, that's, by the way, Monica, what I talk to um, people about a lot when we talk about uh, where I'm, I'm kind of targeting in the organization sometimes. And I love working with people on the front line. I love mm-hmm. it. I love it. But helping people on the front line to, to recognize how important they are. Mm-hmm. So many of the, the challenges and issues in organizations, it's the people who are doing the actual yes, work. Absolutely. Great insight. Mm-hmm. Great insight. Right. So helping them to to understand that um, and be willing to offer their contributions and then helping people who may be in charge of running things to recognize your your answer is probably right there, right there. But you have to value that and you have to make room for that. If you make room. Right. I'm trying to get that person to make room. Then I'm trying to get the other person to recognize, hey, walk on through. And if. And if the door hasn't been open, sometimes you have to kick it in. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. You have to be enough to kick it in and offer your um, your valuable opinion when it wasn't even solicited. Find a way. Right. Right. No, I mean, I absolutely believe that, you know, it is the reciprocity and it's a two way street in adding value um, for that individual, for that team. Um, and I don't think, like you said, people minimize their value add of what they bring, but, you know, even sometimes when it was someone super, super senior and you're super junior, but then realizing that you're, you know, helping them understand you're, you're kind of their, uh, conduit or their link to the more junior population of like, I don't understand how you all think anymore. And we're trying to figure out like, how do you, how do you, you know, do what you do? And there is a reciprocity there, but you have to like figure out what is it that you can bring and offer. And I think many of us, like women, women of color, forget that we have some, you know, learned experience, lived experience that is different, that will actually be very enriching to the way that sometimes things are done that needs to change. Because now, you know, a lot of the times, uh, especially when, you know, you're working for a company that may be, you know, producing something for the world or for you know, the society, the customers need to, you know, our team needs to reflect what the society is. And half the time it can be, like you said, a very um, limited frame of reference 
um, team that could be working and not getting all of that cognitive dissonance that they need or all of that diversity of thought. And I think one of the latest research was the dangers of groupthink, like you said, oh. where the groupthink can give you um, an inflated sense of confidence that you know what you're supposed to be doing or that your solution is right or the best. And then you put it out there and it falls flat because it doesn't really resonate with the diversity of the, uh, the customers. And I think that was so smart in you saying that even personally, professionally, you know, you're always looking for disrupting that group thought by bringing in different people and, you know, just different ways of thinking. And so I think that's so important, especially even in the relationships you're building, that you're tapping into people who aren't like you so that you can understand how they think. And it shifts sometimes the way that you think as well. So, so amazing. Absolutely. And, and I love what you just said, because I think I do think sometimes it's intimidating to be that, you know, and I have a long time to get into the authenticity, boldness mm-hmm. and, and contribution, but it's not always easy. It's not always easy when I say you remain true mm-hmm. to who you are. That's not always easy. I know you know what it, it feels like, and I know what it feels like sometimes when you're the only person mm-hmm. in the room um, who may be thinking like you or had the experience that you've had. It can be intimidating to offer what you have to offer. And I just mm-hmm. want to link back again to what we talked about when, when you have that, that fear that overtakes you, right. Mm-hmm. May, and just, just try to open your mouth, whether you may, and maybe it's a question that you ask that gets people to think a little bit more mm-hmm. about that experience you've had, mm-hmm. or maybe you just offer an example. Well, wow. When I was, remember I was talking about, you're an expert in something, even mm-hmm. if that expertise is living in the skin that you're in. You know, and, yes. and offer that contribution because it's really important. It's, it's so important. And I just didn't want to minimize that. I do know that it's not always easy. That's why I try to work from both ends of it. Right. Right. But we, we need this kind of reciprocity. Um, but then what do you do when you're in an organization where you don't feel like that's happening? Right. And that's why I talk a lot about authenticity and being true to yourself, because eventually that really starts to kind of tear away. Yes. Um, it, te- it tears away from, from your sense of self and you don't want to let anything do that. So No, it's so true. I mean, it's that danger of, you know, there's, there's a fine line between assimilation and acculturation and the culture of the organization. Yes, you want to adapt and, you know, and acculturate, but you don't want to assimilate to the point where you lose yourself and you're no longer authentic and you do fall into that group think where maybe you drank the Kool-Aid now you're and now you're thinking and talking like everybody else and you lose that. So I think that is so, so important. And I know that our audience are absolutely going to want to hear more from you, Dr. D, and understand how do I master the ABCs, right? How do I master <laughs> that authenticity? How do I really... Um, you know, embrace and show my boldness and really hone in on the contribution. So, you know, for our audience, for our listeners, what is the best way to stay in contact with you, to follow you? And, you know, what, you know, what, what else can they learn from you? Well, um, I think I have a, the Dr. D tribe ah. uh, where I gather people from all different <laughs> uh-huh walks of my work. Um, and that's, so that's Dr. D tribe. Um, and, and it's just DRD, uh, tribe.com there. Uh-huh. And then, um, also on Facebook, it's Dr. D tribe. 
Fantastic. I know that our listeners are going to be itching to hear more of your pearls of wisdom. And Dr. D, I want to thank you so much for giving us some of your valuable time and sharing your insights. And really, honestly, the, you know, you walk away feeling vibrant, just, you know, your energy that I'm sure is going to come across uh, through their headphones on their speakers. But again, thank you so much. And it's so um, amazing to continue working with you. And I look forward to continued collaborations. Thank you, Monica. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.